Great things are happening at Vineyard. Vineyard Community Church in downtown London, Kentucky at 220 West 5th Street. Make yourselves at home. Um, We are uh, talking about and have been studying for the last four weeks, this is week four, the the history of Elisha and dreaming big in small spaces. Say that when we say dreaming big in small spaces. And the fact that Elisha started out in a small space, that his predecessor, Elijah, that's with a J, his name had an S-H in it. It's the only difference in their name, so it can be confusing. However, Elijah had a big ministry, and Elisha was a farmer, a farmhand, who uh, met up with Elisha and or Elijah and received a ministry from him. But prior to that, he started small. He didn't start out as a big ministry. He started out as a small guy, a farmer. Second thing that happened, uh, in, or one of the other things that happened in Elisha's life is, you remember, as he started out with big dreams, but he was in a small place when he wanted to be as, have a ministry as big as Elijah's, but he was a farmer. Elijah came along and that started, that process started to happen. And then, how many of you remember we talked about digging trenches? That he said that when the, there was no rain, that Elisha said, there's going to be rain, but you guys need to go dig trenches. You need to create a pools for God to fill. And sometimes when we're in the waiting process for our dream, it's our job to build, to dig trenches for God to fill. Then last week on Independence Day, we talked about the fact that Elisha was in a small space one time and was facing a large army that outnumbered him drastically. And by by looking into the spirit realm and by by talking to his uh, assistant, he helped the assistant to see the fact that the, that it was really his enemies were highly outnumbered by angels and that God had bigger plans for him than to be beaten by some satanic army. And I say that very cautiously because that's who wants to destroy you. Don't ever forget that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but what do we wrestle against? Principalities and powers, rulers of darkness in high places. Uh, Different versions say it differently, but it's obvious that we are not fighting a flesh and blood battle. And so many times we want to beat up on the person next to us. That's not correct. And so we're watching this process of dreaming big. You see, I believe that you as a Christian have big dreams. I believe that God wants to do big things with you. I believe that God has things that are bigger than where you're at, and you're accomplishing something through him. And so I wanted to get to this point here because in this time of, of Israel, Israel had kind of relied upon the fact that Elisha had this big, or Elijah had this big, long ministry, and then Elisha came along with a bigger ministry, and they had all these years of just tremendous leadership and ministry, and some of us have had that. Some of us feel the same way. God's doing big things with us, and we've had a great leader. We've had somebody kind of guiding and leading us through it all, and here's the thing. Eventually, that comes to stop, and I want you to go with me over to Second Kings chapter thirteen and twenty a, chapter or Second Kings chapter thirteen and verse twenty. And the Bible says, "Then Elisha died and was buried. Elisha died and was buried." And so here's this great leader that has led them through all of these opportunities, from going from small to big to growing in God to having having their dreams met that he was the second in a row of great prophets, and all of a sudden it seemed like it was over. It seemed like, take a look at the screen, that some think the time for miraculous dreams has passed. 
that during Elisha's ministry, that there were supposed to be big dreams and big miracles and, and big things accomplished, but then as soon as Elisha died, it was supposed to be over. Now, there are whole denominations of Christianity that believe this. They believe that God worked it during Elisha's life and Elijah's life, and then God worked during Jesus's life, but he never worked anywhere in the middle. He never worked anywhere before, and he's never worked anywhere ever since. And the issue with that is, is that is scripturally extremely inaccurate. Because I want you to tell me Elisha wasn't alive and Jesus wasn't around when the flood, Noah's flood came and what happened? God moved and there was a great flood and things changed and God came in and did something. There was no one around when Moses, Elisha nor Jesus was around, when Moses did his great miracles to set the children of Israel free. There was no one around when David... Jesus or Elisha wasn't around and Jesus wasn't around. Neither of them were around when David picked up five stones out of a brook. Come on, somebody. And slew a giant when for 40 days an entire army was afraid to even face him. Miraculous things happening. And I could go through history after history after history after history. Jesus wasn't around and Elisha wasn't around. When Stephen, the first martyr, was doing miracles amongst the people. When Paul did his missionary journeys. And just miracle after miracle. When Jonah was swallowed by a great fish. I want you to know Jonah was not swallowed by a whale. It never says that in the Bible. He was swallowed by a great fish that God had prepared. That he was swallowed by a great fish. And Jesus nor Elisha or Elijah were around during this moment in time. And so what I want you to understand is, is while some people may say that the time of miracles has passed, I'm here to tell you that the time of miracles is now. God never quit doing them. Now, during these prophets' lives and during Jesus' life, he really worked through these guys. There's no doubt. But when you compare what happened through one man, Jesus, in three years, and then you compare what happened through all the apostles, it's pretty even what was happening after that. And so you've got to understand that that ministry has passed to us. And if you think those, that moment has passed, that your dreams are dead, that those times are gone, you are absolutely wrong. You know, Moses thought they were gone and he spent 40 years relearning how to be a shepherd after being trained to be a king. But at 80 years old, he stepped into his purpose. And so I'm telling you that God has something for you and there's a purpose there, but you've got to be willing to dream big when you're in a small space. When you're a farmer and you're walking behind some, we talked about this before, behind a couple of big cows and you're walking through what they deposit and you don't smell like a winner. Come on, somebody. When those things are happening, you've still got to dream big in small spaces. When you're facing an entire army and your assistant is coming to you and saying, we're going to lose, it's already over, how can we surrender? I've already got a white flag tied to the flagpole, can you give me authorization to put it up? You've got to understand that you've got to dream big in small spaces. When you are facing devils and demons and and 
People that don't like you, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but the devil will use people. Come on. Um, and so when we're facing those things or we're facing situations that just don't seem to be fair or we're facing a past that we have given great power to and it's still trying to encroach on our present. You know, people do that with their credit. They do bad things with their credit and then they decide, I'm going to live right and it takes them two, three, five, ten years to get out of the mess they made because their past keeps trying to catch up with them. Come on, somebody. Do you think the devil's any different? He's not. And so we've got to dream big in small spaces. But Elisha died. Elisha's dead. And the children of Israel went through a period of time in which they were fairly hopeless. Because their prophet was gone. They didn't have someone to lead and to guide them that was doing great miracles, so Elisha died. Take a look at 2 Kings chapter 13 and verse 20. Then Elisha died and was buried. Groups of Moabite raiders used to invade the land each spring. And so many springs have gone by since Elisha has died. I need you to understand that, that it wasn't just one spring that went by. It was many springs. And these raiders, these satanic messengers came and went through the land in the spring. Why in the spring? Because they would go and they would steal their seed. They would steal their cows. They would raid anything of value. They would go through their, they went through Walmart and took everything off the shelves. Come on, somebody work with me here. So they, they would go and they would, you know, they'd flatten all the tires over at uh, Tincture Williams. Come on. You couldn't buy a new car. Come on. You know what I'm talking about. They'd flatten all the tires. They'd take the best. So what they do is they go in and they, they, they made it to where the children of Israel were seedless and could not plant in the spring. Therefore, they couldn't harvest in the fall. So when it came time for their dreams to come to pass, they weren't able to, to, to plant in the spring. They weren't able to harvest in the fall. And the Moabites were winning simply by coming around once a year. And I'm here to tell you something. I want you to catch this. Moabites come around periodically. The devil comes around periodically to steal from you. He's not out to take your stuff. He doesn't need your stuff. He's out to stop your dreams and stop you from being able to plant. He's out to stop your harvest. He's not out for anything else. Take a look at the screen. Satan raids in the spring to keep you from your dreams. In the spring, Satan comes around. And when the, when the, in the springtime of your life, I'm not talking about being young. I'm talking about on a periodic schedule when it's, when it's sowing time, when it's time to, to make a deposit into your life. He comes around and something happens and you're too busy. Something happens and he, he, the, the resources aren't there. You're supposed to make a difference and you can't make a difference because you don't have the resources. And so the Moabites came through and they would steal from these guys in the spring. So 2 Kings chapter 13 and 21, hold on, let's just stay there for a minute. How many of you ever made a New Year's resolution? You make a New Year's resolution, and it always is the same thing. We have this big surge of people in the month of January, especially in the first two weeks. And for most people, their New Year's resolution lasts between five minutes and, 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 and two or three days or two or three weeks. We have the surge of people that come in. You know, we have, if you go down to the gym, you know, I think they sell probably more gym memberships in the month of January than they do the rest of the year because everybody buys a gym membership. You're going to change your life. You're going to get, you know, you're going to do good things. You're going to, you're going to make things different. And you go to do this and something comes up and the devil comes around and situations present themselves that are spiritual in nature. And you think 
Because he said, we don't flesh, wrestle against flesh and blood. He's telling you that for a reason. Why is he telling you that? Because you think he does. You think that it's flesh and blood you're, you're wrestling against. So the spring comes around, and all of a sudden, you're supposed to be investing in your church. You're supposed to be make, get, you know, paying off your car. You're supposed to be doing something to better yourself. You're supposed to be losing some weight. You're supposed to be going to school, but something comes along, and all of a sudden, this something that comes along, these Moabite raiders that come around every once in a while, come and steal from you, and you don't have the resources to fill your dreams. It happens in relationships, it happens in situations, it happens in health, it happens in time. But what God wants you to know is, is if you'll stick with your time schedule and you won't run from these Moabites, but do what he wants you to do, that things will be different for you. Now, there's no point in in dying in in the process. Sometimes you've got to run from the Moabites, but I'm going to show you what happens next. Look at 2 Kings chapter 13 and 21a. Now remember, Elisha has died and these Moabites come around once a year in the spring when it's time to sow. 2 Kings chapter 13 and 21a, once when some Israelites were burying a man, say dead dreams, they spied a band of these raiders. So they hastily, say hastily, threw the corpse into the tomb of Elijah, Elisha, and fled. So these guys are out, and, it's in, and they've got this man. Now, he's a young man. He has to be a young man. I'll show you why later. But they've got this young man, and he's passed away. And his dreams are over. He had dreams, but he can't fulfill them. He's not alive. They've got dreams that were attached to him because they're his friends. That's why they're burying him. And they, they're, they're trying to get this thing done. They can't. They're trying to bury this guy. And his dreams are gone. It's over for him. And so as they're trying to bury him, they spot these raiders coming. As they're trying to bury this guy, they spot the raiders coming. They spot the the dream stealers coming. So they hastily, they quickly, didn't have time to think about it, They threw the corpse into the tomb of Elisha and fled. Take a look at the screen. God may be allowing raiders to redirect your actions. You see, they had a plan to bury the dreams. They had a plan to bury this guy in the sand, to put him under, to be done, and to move on with life. There's no Elisha around to fix the problems. And so what they're trying to do is they're just trying to get rid of the dead weight. And here, what they see off in the distance, they see it must be spring. They see this guy, these guys coming, and they're raiders. They don't want to, you know, they brought the guy on a cart. They brought the guy using an animal. They brought things to to dig with. They don't want to lose these things to the raiders. So what do they do? They see the tomb of Elisha over here. And remember, Elisha has died. The the, the miracles have ceased. And they took over and they opened the the tomb of Elisha and they hastily, they quickly throw him in. They throw him into the tomb. Now, for some people, they may think that this just happened. I think what God did was God said, hey, guys, look up. Because here's some pressure for you not to do what you're doing, but to do this other thing. For you not to, to do something that, that you're about planning to do, but the, for you to do something that I want you to do. And you see, sometimes pressure comes and we think it's not God. Sometimes it is God allowing pressure, allowing things to happen so that he can redirect what we were planning to do. The, 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 the case that I'm thinking of 
Think about this, is Mary and Joseph. Mary is, is betrothed or engaged to Joseph. Joseph, she is found with child, and Joseph is planning to put her away. He's got a little pressure there. He's planning to be done. And suddenly it said, an angel appeared and said, don't do this. You're an honorable man. Keep this woman. What's happened here is of the Holy Spirit. And so he stuck with her. Now there's pressure there though. And sometimes God is allowing raiders to redirect your action. Sometimes you think that what's happening is, is that you're just planning your life and just moving along. But satanic pressure is coming. And now that you've got this pressure, you think that God's against you. No, God may be saying it's time for you to get out of the way and to move it over here. It may be time for you to plan to put your, put your dreams in this tomb instead of in that tomb. And so we're dreaming big in small spaces. And so they take this, this body and they open up this dead body, these dead dreams. There's no Elisha around to solve this problem. And they open up the tomb and they throw him into the tomb. And in throwing him into the tomb, take a look at what happens in 2 Kings chapter 13 and 21. But as soon as the body touched Elisha's bones, as soon as the body touched Elisha's bones, now here's the thing, take a look. Dreams were dead for a long time for there just to be bones. There's not any flesh on Elijah anymore. Elisha has been in the tomb long enough. Dreams have died long enough that the, all that's left on him is bones. Now you say, well, that could happen in six months back then. No, wait a minute. These people knew how to embalm a body. I'll show you how much they knew how to embalm a body. They learned from Egypt, and Egyptian mummies last until today. So Elisha has been in there a while. We're talking several years. We're talking maybe decades that they've been without a miracle, that they've been without knowing how to attach themselves to God in such a way that he can fill their dreams. And now they're just throwing bodies wherever they can. It feels sometimes like we do in which we're just burying our dreams because we just don't see any hope left for them. There's no miracle workers left. There's no Elisha anymore. We're just digging a, a hole and sticking it in there. We're just pushing, pushing our dreams away. But I'm here to tell you something different. I'm here to tell you that dreams were dead a long time for there just to be bones, but something's about to happen that's going to recreate and rehope and refill everyone and every person in Israel. Take a look at this, 2 Kings chapter 13 and 21. But as soon as the body touched Elisha's bones, the dead man revived and jumped to his feet. The dead man revived and jumped to his feet. So, they, so here's the deal. Elisha dies. Many years go by. And there are some people are just burying someone one day. This guy had a family. This guy had dreams. This guy had a business. This guy really wanted to be something, but he died. Death, sickness, something got the better of him. He died. They go out to bury this guy. There's no hope left for him. There's no profit. Dreams have died. It's over. Some of you may feel that way. Dreams have died. And while this, they're getting ready to bury this body, they see Moabite raiders coming who have started to come every spring. They're used to the devil robbing from them. So what do they do? They throw him in the tomb. He, he falls down in there. They close the tomb and they run off before he can hit the ground. He hits the bones and he revives and stands up and comes back to his feet. And he is back alive from decades old prophet bones. 
decades old prophet bones have enough power in them. Come on, somebody. That if, if your dreams touch them, they come back to life. Take a look at the screen where you bury your dreams. Decide if they are resurrected or not. Where you bury your dreams, decide if they're resurrected or not. Some of you years ago had plans to do great things. Some of you right now have plans to do great things, but you can't figure out how it's going to happen. How can I have an orphanage when I live here in America? How can I, when I have $72 in my bank account, fund a minister? How can I do something great for God when I'm not great myself? How can I, with all my issues, come on, somebody, some of us have a few issues. How can I, with all my issues, how can I, with all my past, how can I, with all my brokenness, do anything that God would possibly be pleased with? I have big dreams, but I have small spaces. I've created my own small space, and I'm living in it. The time of miracles seems to be past. I don't think there's any hope for me. I'm just going to bury my dreams in the sand. Come on, somebody. And it's going to be over. I'm here to tell you that there may be some pressure coming. And about the time you're about to bury the dream, if Scott can't convince you on Sunday morning, come on, somebody. God may allow some Moabite raiders in so that you'll push that dream and bury it somewhere else because if you bury it in the sand, it's over. But if you'll take your dream and you'll put it in the hand, put it on the bones, put it in, in agreement with, put it in the space contained by spiritual things, by God's power, you can see that dream come back to life. Now, why do I tell you all that? Because for a lot of you, you've already buried those dreams. For a lot of you, God needs to resurrect those dreams so you can even throw them in the in the tomb so that you can see things happen through the Lord. You've got to be able to trust him enough to be able to take your the body and throw it in in a spiritual place instead of in a natural place. Your problem isn't going to be solved. Listen to me closely in a 12-step program. God may use that, but that's not your solution. Your solution is spiritual. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against what? Principalities and powers. Your problem is not that you can't get enough money together. Your problem is, is you're not looking at your dream. You're looking at the finances and the substance. What God has for you is bigger than what you can accomplish. And if it's not, you've got the wrong dream. So with that said, you, like Elisha, are dreaming big in small spaces. Elisha is now in the smallest space he's ever been in. He's in a tomb, and he's still raising the dead. For some of you, you're going to raise your families up. Come on, somebody. For some of you, you're going to raise your careers up. For some of you, you're going to raise your education up and your intelligence up and your opportunity up. Because God wants to come in and make those things happen for you. He's not, Elisha's not dead. Just because Elisha died doesn't mean God died. God's not dead. I think there's a movie about that. If not, I'll coin that phrase. Come on, somebody. God's not dead. And we're still able to dream big in small spaces. We're still at the place where God's doing great things through us. And great things through you. Some of you are going to do the thing that you wanted to do. Some of you are going to own a house. 
Listen to me closely. This is God. He just spoke to me. Somebody here is going to own a house. And you think you can't own a house. You think it's too much time, there's too much wreck, and you're never going to be able to do, and things are a mess. Somebody here is going to have a job that is going to be leadership quality job, not follower quality job. Nothing wrong with follower quality job, that's beautiful, but I'm talking about somebody's going to have leadership quality job here. God's going to create a leader out of someone here. And you look to your left and you look to your right and you think, that could never happen. Come on, somebody. That was a joke. All right? If you want to see leadership, just look up here. Come on, somebody. That was a joke too. Now listen to me. I'm telling you, God wants to do great things through people. He wants to do something through you. Now here's what happens. I'm going to close with this. Do you remember when we talked about Dothan? And Dothan meant a city that had two wells. You can drink from one or you can drink from the other. You can come in and you can have God's way or you can have another way. All right. For some of you, this is a Dothan moment. For some of you, I say, God wants to do great things with you and you do this. That's the eye roll, you know? You do the eye roll. And you zone out. I'm sorry that you're that disappointed. I really am. I have bigger dreams for you. For some of you, I say, God's going to do something great with you. And you're like, yeah, he might, he could. But there's a few of you. Come on, somebody. I think we're full of money. There's a few of you that go, you know what? That's me. That's who you're talking to me. You're speaking into my life, Scott. This is the, my Dothan. This is where I'm going to drink out of the well that God wants, not the other well. I know I can stay alive through either one of them, but I want God's well. I want God's well. This is where I stay alive. I choose it. Now, this is your opportunity to have your dreams Fade away and you roll your eyes and we'll talk about this again 10 years from now and you'll go, oh, I heard that back then and nothing happened until now. Of course not, you eye roller. <laughs> Come on, what do you think? Of course it didn't. You didn't believe it. You didn't want it. You ought to roll your eyes. You ought to give me one of the, what? how do they do that? Can I do it? I can't even do it, can I? I need, I need somebody to come up here and do that for me. Of course you didn't. But for some of you, you're, it's starting to plant. The Moabites aren't going to steal that seed this year. For some of you, you're like, wait a minute. He may be telling the truth. Maybe my dreams can come to pass. If you won't let that go, I promise you, Tell you one quick story, and we'll close. Which means nothing. All right. So I was about 19 years old, and I got—I I was so on fire for God. Just wanted to preach, you know. Wanted to, wanted to do God's what God wanted me to do. And I used to look it, I, everywhere I went with my wife. I would just annoy her with it. You know, I'd be like, well, in my church, here's what's going to happen. It's going to be this way. And then we'd go out to dinner and she'd want to go to a nice romantic dinner. And I'd say, well, yeah, we can go there as long as we can talk about the church. And we're going to, this is what we're going to talk about. And we can talk about the church. And, and then we'd go home and I'd talk about the church. And then we'd go, <laughs> and then we'd go somewhere else and we'd talk about the church because that dream was so alive in me, I couldn't escape it. You know what I mean? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so I would just all the time. And one day I was praying and God said, Scott, 
That's when I know I'm in trouble. He says, Scott, do you know that you're like a one-trick pony? And you have a lovely wife that I gave you, and you probably need to talk to her about something else. And I said, yeah, I understand. And I tried my best to stop talking about it just for a little while. And you know what happened? I couldn't. Because the dream was more real to me than anything else. Now, thank God. Say thank you, Melissa. That she stuck with me and and sat through all my annoying lectures on how things were going to be. But I was dreaming big in small places. And so now we go out to dinner and I'm like, let's just enjoy this dinner. And she's like, well, did I tell you about this at the church? And now she's doing it back to me. Come on, somebody. Because this thing is contagious. Listen to me. Your dreams have to be bigger than your reality. They have to be. Your freedom. You want to be free? Your freedom's got to be bigger than your addiction. Come on, somebody. You want to be prosperous? Your future has to be brighter than your, than your debt. Has to be. Dream big in small spaces. Stand your feet. You've been listening to a message from Vineyard Community Church in downtown London, Kentucky at 220 West 5th Street. We invite you to come and join us. Our gathering times are 10 a.m. and 11.30 a.m. And Wednesday night, we have meal and a message night at 7 p.m. Great things are happening at Vineyard and everyone is welcome here.